So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preach to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. I won't preach on this, but I'm going to read just the last few verses to, to kind of give us the context. For I am least of the apostles, Paul says, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim and so you have believed. Let's pray. Well, Father, as we come together as your people under your word this Lord's Day, we ask for your help. We ask for your Holy Spirit's grace to help me to proclaim your word, to help us to hear your word and believe it and love it and live it. Would you help me to not say anything this morning that is from my own opinion or thoughts, Lord, but only that which has been brought about by your Holy Spirit. Convict us where we need conviction. Encourage us where we need encouragement. Empower us to live your word, to be doers of it and not hearers only, we pray. Amen. Our main idea this morning is one that is very short and sweet and to the point. The gospel is to be above all things at Pleasant Gardens Baptist Church. Just in case you missed it, I know it's short, but I'm going to tell you one more time. The gospel, according to God's word here, is to be above all things at Pleasant Gardens Baptist Church. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he has been talking to them and he's been giving, helping them understand that their church the church in Corinth, like if you've never really read through it, is, it is a mess. Just like It's a hot mess because for them, there are folks who are incredibly... Um, the word he keeps using throughout the entire book, he says, and you are arrogant. There are people who are in unrepentant, grievous sexual sin, and the church doesn't care. There is division in the church because people are being just... Selfish, and when they come together for the Lord's Supper, they're doing it wrong. They're doing it for selfish motives. They're not thinking about the entire body. There's all these things that are happening in 1 Corinthians. And for him, it would be easy for him to come in and say, here is how the church should operate. Let me give you some church growth strategies, some church revitalization strategies, all of that. But he comes in, and he starts telling them about how the gospel is the one thing that is of first importance. But I want to get ahead of myself. Our first point is this, verses 1 and 2. He says, you've received the gospel. And for us, church, I I believe that's true of us, or at least I hope that for you individually, you have received the gospel. We know that the gospel 
has been preached here at Pleasant Gardens Baptist Church. But receiving it is more than hearing it. Listen to what Paul says. He tells them, I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel means the good news about Jesus, the gospel that I preached to you, which you received. First of all, it was preached. It was proclaimed. For the gospel to happen, it actually has to be said, verbalized. There's a big, this big idea in Christianity that if we just live like nice people, the world will see it and everybody will just start getting saved. If we're jerks, what we have to say will not be worth anything. But proclamation has to happen. The gospel has to be preached. It has to be said. This is what the gospel is. But here's the thing. It's not just heard. It's received. They took it. They ran with it. They owned it. It was really theirs because they heard it and they believed it. And the question is, is the gospel really yours, church? Have you heard the gospel and believed it and said, this is what I believe. I receive it. This is mine. I love it. He said, that's where you've taken your stand. This is an interesting thought because for them, there were all these things coming up against the gospel. And for them, they didn't take their stand on their politics. They didn't take their stand on their cultural ideas. They didn't take their stand in what and any of the things that they loved apart from the gospel. He says, you took your stand on the gospel. You said this right here, the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified in our place, and raised again. This is where we've taken our stand. It is the foundation for us, Christians, of our life. All the work that we do, the emphasis of our entire life, that is the place where we take that stand on the gospel. And he says, by which you are being saved. Which is interesting, because he doesn't say by which you have, you have been saved in the past, by which you are being saved. We don't have time to go into all, all the, the words with that and what's happening grammatically. Why is it not that you were saved at this one point in the past, but you're being saved? Just understand this. If it's really been received, if it's been believed, it is the basis of your salvation. By the gospel, you're being saved. There is nothing else for them that is going to save them. Their niceness towards other people is not going to save them. How much they give to the church is not going to save them. How much they give to other churches who are in need is not going to save them. How many little old ladies they help cross the street is not going to save them. The only thing that is the basis of your salvation is to believe and receive the gospel. So he is talking to people who have believed the gospel, who have heard it and understand it and know it. But now the question is this. What do you do with it? He says in verse 3, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. This is a little statement here that tells us much. Other translations actually say it in a way that I kind of appreciate. It has a nice ring to it. You can say most important, or you can say of first importance. And that's what he says uh, here. This gospel, of all the things that I've told you, church, of all the things that they had going on in their church that was just out of whack, he says, the most important thing that I brought to you was not how to do the Lord's Supper properly. The most important thing that I brought to you was not how to deal with unrepentant sinners in the congregation rightly. The most important thing, the thing of first importance, is the gospel. That is it. There's nothing else above that good news of Jesus. And he explains what that gospel is at the end of verse 3. 
that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. This is the simple gospel message, that you are a sinner, and you cannot be made right with God. You just can't. Not on your own. Nothing you can do, as we've said, right? Because the gospel is the basis of your salvation, not your works. So Jesus died the death that you should have died in your place. And he did it according to the scriptures. That's, what makes, that's part of what makes this so amazing, is that this is the promise from Genesis 3.15, that one day the seed of the woman will come and crush the head of the serpent. That one day, as he told to David, there's a new and better king coming. And all throughout the Old Testament, the scriptures say, the Savior is coming. And so Christ comes, and he died according to the scriptures. That's what they've always been about, though people are confused. How can a Savior die? But we know that, that wasn't the end for him. He came as a Savior, and he was a Savior who died, but then he goes on to say that he was buried and that he was raised. Also, again, according to the scriptures, the death of Christ, it wasn't final. It wasn't the last thing. Something special happened. But that death, that resurrection, did not stay just there. But instead, it started to spread. The truth of the hope started to spread. It says that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve apostles. And then he appeared to five hundred other brothers and sisters, that's five hundred other followers of Jesus, at one time. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. An apostle isn't necessarily just the twelve, it's all those who have been sent out by Jesus. And he says, last of all, as one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Because Paul was persecuting Christians. It was years after Jesus' death and resurrection that he came to know Christ. But Christ appeared to him and made him an apostle. This gospel is the most important. Because for us, it is the message that we take out. It started there at the core with Peter and the Twelve and the Five Hundred, and they took it out to the world. Church, there's nothing that we do that is greater than our belief, our receiving of, and our taking of the gospel. Because, see, we exist for one thing, and it's the glory of God. And if you don't understand that, I hope that you will, that you don't exist for yourself. Every single one of us who have been born into this world as a creation of God, we exist for God's glory. And God is most glorified in us as we proclaim his gospel to the world. So we do it for the sake of those who are lost, and we do it for the sake of God. And we say, as we take the gospel to a lost world, look how great our God is. He could have left us in our sin, but he didn't. So it's above all things. It is the core Other things fall behind. But notice what he says here. He says this is the thing which is of first importance, of most importance. But does he say it's the only thing that's important? He just says it's first importance, right? There are other things that come behind that are important. There are. We call these things convictions and preferences. Or maybe we call them, if the gospel is a first level issue, then we have secondary issues and third tertiary issues and all of that. Church, my great joy, I love sorting through those things. And I I hope that our future will be us sorting through and figuring out what's a gospel issue and what's a convictional issue and what are our preferences. 
And that for us, when we find that core, we find those gospel issues, that we're all willing together as a church to die on the hill of the gospel together. Hopefully not literally. And then for those things that are convictions, that we can cross swords lovingly on those things and figure out those things which are crucial convictions for us as a church and those things that are maybe on, on the periphery, on the edge. And then we can figure out what things are preferences and lovingly we can talk through those things and maybe have a little bit of debate through those things and figure out where we're going to land as a church. Then all of us are figuring out what things are gospel and what things are condi- convictional and what things are preferential. But to get to that part, we have to figure out what our foundation is, what our core is, to build the house of our doctrine as a church. We have to understand what is that foundation, those core gospel issues. So for you, what is your most important thing? If we were to ask your family, your friends, what would they say? Uh, When Sarah's sister came to live with us, about a month into it, taking a risk on saying this because some people may like it, some people may not. But she looked at me, and, or she looked at Sarah one time. We had a bunch of people over at our house. And she said, Sarah, does Ethan talk about anything other than theology and guns? <laughs> and she couldn't help but think that because that was all I talked about at that time, right, Sarah? And the second one always changes, right? Guns one week, right? It might be, I don't know, whatever. Whatever my topic of interest is. Um, I'm always talking about theology, but understand this. Theology helps us understand the gospel, but theology is not the gospel. But my point in telling you that story is this. What do people say that you're talking about all the time? Can it be said of you that they say, does that person talk about the gospel all the time? Does that person talk about Jesus and what he did for them all the time? I hope so. I hope that's where we are as a church, that for all of us, as we walk out of this church on Sunday and go into the world on Monday through Saturday, people are looking at us and saying, is that all that they talk about is the gospel? What an amazing thing if that was said of our people. This gospel that he gives us, it is the core. But it has implications for everything. There are things that come out of the gospel that's going to change how we do things. The gospel is going to change how we view ourselves. Because the gospel says, you're not perfect on your own. You need something else. Amen? The gospel causes us to say, I'm a sinner. I'm a jerk. I'm mean to people. I don't love my spouse like I should. It's going to change, actually, our view of sin. Because before the gospel, we love it. Right? When we actually understand the gospel, we understand that it's that sin that caused Christ to die. And Spurgeon said something along the lines of, if it's our sin that killed Christ, then how can I play with and be glad to be with that thing that killed my best friend? Our view of sin, because the gospel is going to change, turning one of loving to one of homicide. We want to kill that sin in our life, to put it to death every single day. When we understand the gospel, there's implications for how we love one another. It's going to cause us to love one another freely, to not hold back because you said something to me, or I overheard you talked about me the other day, or whatever it is that you did that kind of displeased me, and now I'm going to withhold love from you. Because God, being perfect, did not withhold his love from us when we were sinners. It's going to cause us to forgive others and to be ready to forgive the moment of their repentance. It's going to cause us to not gossip and instead of spreading the worst thing about someone to bear it. 
Because see, that's the thing. Christ, for us, he knows the worst thing about you. And he doesn't spread it about you. Instead, he bore it on the cross. The gospel kills gossip, church. It's going to change how we see money. We're going to see that money isn't our salvation. It's not going to fix everything in our life. Only Christ can do that. And then even if we have no money, Christ makes us rich in the world to come because we're rich in his love. The gospel has implications for our church because we understand that Christ laid his life down for the church. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. He's telling husbands to lay their life down for their wives like Christ laid down his life for the church. And guess what? If we want to be like Christ, then we're going to lay our life down for this body of believers. That doesn't always mean that you're going to die for this church. It It may never ever mean that you're going to actually have to give your life physically for this church, for this body of believers. But what it may mean is that we lay down the things that are preferential. It may mean that we lay down the things that are not gospel. It may mean that we lay down the way that someone was, was mean to us once upon a time. It means all kinds of things like that. And if Christ laid down his life for the church, then so should we. The gospel is of first importance because the gospel affects everything. The gospel speaks to everything. And it unites us as God's people because we all realize through the gospel just who we are. We realize that we are sinners, that we are messed up, that we can be jerks sometimes, that we are living for ourselves. But guess what the gospel tells us? It helps us understand that and then helps us realize, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, but God, so just imagine it for a second, you are just someone who is all about yourself apart from Christ. But he says, but God being rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, he made us alive in Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. This gospel that God has given us is to be above all because it affects everything that we do. It affects how we see the world, how we see ourselves, how we see our family, and how we see our church. So if you're here this morning and for you've not believed the gospel, you've not received the gospel, you know that for you, you are running from God. You're saying to God, I know what you've told me to do. I understand that I'm doing things that are against you. My question to you is, have you received this gospel? Please don't play games with yourself. Please don't try to convince yourself that because you came to church today, that everything's okay. That doesn't fix things. The gospel does putting your faith and hope and allegiance into Christ who died for you. That is how you're saved. You can receive it today, and I hope that you will, and that you'll understand that you can't save yourself, but Christ did on the cross. And for the believer, I would just ask you to consider, is the gospel above every single thing? That doesn't mean that we don't deal with other issues underneath. That doesn't mean that we don't like deal with finances because it's not the gospel. Okay? That doesn't mean that we don't deal with the facilities here because that's not the gospel. Okay? We can do those things. Those things are good and right. But man, this stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This could be the best church facility in the county. It could be the best church facility in the state. And if the gospel is not above all, we have wasted money and made this place a whitewashed tomb. Is the gospel above all things? 
in every event that you go through, every conflict and every decision in your life and in the life of this church, do you ask, how does the gospel apply to this? Does this connect to the gospel at all? How does God's grace and love for me, for every single person who's part of this church, how does it relate to this? Church, my hope and my prayer is that we would believe and live as though the gospel is above all, as though it is of first importance, and that we would take it to a world who is waiting to hear the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, as we've seen today, just from a couple small words, there's nothing that is of more importance. It is of first importance, God, the good news of Jesus Christ. God, may our church be marked by it. May we not only just believe it and have some, give some mental assent to the gospel, but Father, would you make it the truth that runs through our veins? The reality that surrounds every movement that we make, every decision that we make. God, may our love for the lost and our understanding that we were just like the world, just like the lost before. God, may it motivate us to say there's nothing more important that happens here in this body of believers than the proclamation of your good news. And may we understand that the proclamation of your good news is not something that comes exclusively from the pulpit. Though you've ordained that it come from this pulpit, it has to come from every single person who you've put in this church and whose job to them you've given the work of the ministry. We humbly ask for you to do this. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.